0: Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and once again as we are assembled to worship you. Lord, we pray that that would be done through the remaining songs. Lord, I pray that during the preaching time we would call our hearts and our attention to your word and that we would be able to uh, have a simple and real way to express our faith in the living God. We ask that you would bless the invitation and the offering each part of this service. The Lord, each of us would give to you that which is yours and that we would honor and glorify you as the only true God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I have the privilege of uh, preaching uh, at the uh, national uh, GIBF meeting. That's uh, the fellowship that we're involved in and and, uh, was talking with, uh, little Petey and Chloe, and, and Ashley said, Is that a big deal? I said, Yeah, that's a big deal to, to be able to preach at that meeting. And, uh, this morning, uh, I know some people tried to tune into the live streaming, and, and the sermon is going to be a little different because I am applying the sermon to, uh, to our church here this morning, but I, I would just like to, uh, share this message because it just fits in so well with what we are trying to do here this year. And uh, uh, let's just read through Psalm 100, if you would. It says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us. And not we ourselves. Boy that would solve so many problems. Would it not? Psalm 100. And um, middle of verse 3. We are his people. And the sheep. Of his pasture. Enter into his gates. With thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. And bless his name. Now. These are all the things that we're supposed to be doing. And verse 5 is the reason these things are supposed to be in our lives. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. For the Lord is good. I, I couldn't tell you how many times we've been over this. Hebrews 11.6, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith is, uh, is understanding number one, number two, number a thousand, everything. The, the thing that faith produces that we have to grab a hold of is that God is Good. The number one lie of the devil. Read Romans chapter 1. Where did it all start from? Neither were they, who knows what the next word is, thankful. If we were to stop this morning, how many of us have accused God of being less than good? You see, faith starts there. The Lord is good. The Lord cannot be anything but good. Even when He asks us to go through difficult times and and puts things upon us, it is because of the goodness of God. Then the next phrase is actually the most wonderful. It says, His mercy is everlasting. And we've been over this many times. Mercy is received by the vanquished or the defeated at the hand of the victor. How many times have we been defeated? How many times have we failed in our service for the Lord? You know what the devil loves to do? He just wants to perch on your shoulder and say, See, you can't live the Christian life. Uh Uh-uh, wait a minute. His mercy is everlasting, my friend. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That most wonderful truth. And then the last phrase where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. His truth and His truth endureth to all generations. This this is not up for debate. God is just using the psalmist here uh, to write this psalm of praise and to make a statement that the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. I've referenced this advertising more maybe than I should, but uh, they had it all over the bus stops and things in New York City had a picture of a young adolescent teenage, uh, tween type child with a very perplexed sad look and it, and underneath it says, I wish they came with instructions. And, uh, uh, talking about calling some city agency who would help you raise your kids. Uh, let, let me tell you something. They do come with instructions. Uh, God gave a whole book of instructions. His truth endureth to every generation. Do you, do you follow what that means? I mean, that's one of the reasons why on Thursday nights, and I'd encourage you to be here if at all possible, as we're going through and teaching about a dispensational approach to the Scriptures, how to study your Bible and how to understand that this is one book. Yes, people manifested different works, but faith is always obeying the revealed word of God. That's why Noah built an ark, and that's why you shouldn't build an ark. That's why the children of Israel had the tabernacle and later the temple, because the law told them this was how they were to approach God. This is why we have a church. The truth of the Lord is available, has been available to every generation since the Garden of Eden. And if the Lord should not come for a thousand years, I want to promise you a thousand years from today, God's truth will still be present and will still endure and will still be relevant to the world in which we live. We do not need to modify God's truth to reach the world. What we need is to ask God to change our lives to agree with His truth. Could we say amen to that? And so, this morning what I would like for us to do is to take our attention and move from the provision of God... From the fact that God's truth is enduring. His mercy is there. If we will just seek his forgiveness. He will restore us. God is good. Always has been good. Always will be good. But I want to tell you. There are many, many. People. Churches. That have fallen by the wayside. In fact. uh, If you were here for Sunday school, Andrew covered this so well in, in Sunday school. There was error coming into the church even before the book of Acts was finished. The greatest errors that were, uh, that we deal with even to this day were already introduced before the Bible was completed. The greatest corruptions of the text of our Bible uh, were were happening before 250-300 uh, AD. The corruptions was already there. One of the great problems we have today is we have our scholars of today going back into antiquity, not seeking the uncorruptible truth that God has allowed to endure, but looking for the errors that were perpetrated by people who did not believe in God and trying to recreate a Bible based upon the fraudulent text of people who did not even believe. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And yet they pass it off for scholarship. Oldest is not always best. That's why we have expiration dates. On the food we sell, is it not? Uh, uh, There comes a point where it's spoiled and it's no use and it would hurt you or maybe even make you sick. Medicine loses its potency over the years. But God's promised that his truth will endure to all generations. And it has. But what I would like for us to preach about and what I preached about in the meeting this week was the stewardship of truth. And I want you to take uh your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Galatians chapter one. Galatians chapter one, and, and we're going to look at some things that can happen if you're not careful. Uh, and we we want to become as little children and follow the Lord. We want to follow him as dear children. And what makes children dear? is when they obey, isn't it? I mean, uh, there for a while, uh, we're still working on it a little bit. I would go down and I'd pick up Felix and he'd just go, Aah! After about 30 seconds, he'd calm down. But that's not endearing. What, what's endearing is when he comes over and goes, Grandpa! Now that I like. A- and... uh Uh, little children go through these things. And what we want to do if we're going to be those dear children that God wants us to be. We've got to be careful with the truth that he's entrusted to us. And so we look here in Galatians chapter 1. And uh, verse 6 says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now, Paul is right in the Galatian church here, and he says, I marvel. He said, I'm amazed. I can't comprehend it, how you have allowed yourselves to be removed From the gospel. From, it says, from him that called you into the grace of God unto another gospel. The word removed simply means to take away, convey away from a place. Keep apart. Separate. It also means to be removed by death. The idea here is the Galatians were believing one thing what the Apostle Paul had taught them. And now, they were believing something different. Somebody has said this many times, talking about the, the Bible version debate. Can things that are different be the same? You know, one... One person I remember standing in line at graduation in Bible college and the fellow behind me said, did you take Greek? And I said, no, I I did not take Greek at, at, at our Bible college because the professor that teaches Greek did not believe that this book, this King James Bible was God's word. In fact, he believed God's word was contained in all kinds of manuscripts and only the elite, only Great scholars could discern where God's Word was located and not, not in this thing. You know something? And, and that professor moved a lot of students. You know why? They came to college and they said, well, I believe the King James Bible is the Word of God because my preacher said so. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't ever want anybody from open doors saying that. I, I would hope that you would say, my preacher spent weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and hours and hours and hours explaining to us why we can trust this translation of the Bible in the English language. Because I have done that. And I know sometimes I'm sitting there going through and showing you pictures and everybody's just going, uh, okay, but I want to give you enough information that you can see how foolish it is to allow yourself to be removed. When it comes to the issue of the gospel, there are churches in this city that a generation ago two or three generations ago preached salvation by grace through faith now they give words to it they will read the bible verses but they don't give an invitation they don't ask people to believe on the lord jesus christ they they just kind of go through hoping that somehow somebody's going to find out that truth The the Bible says that they've been moved. I want you to understand something. If you are going to let go of the truths that are so simply stated in this book, you're going to get moved. You don't have a choice. If you're going to believe what the Bible teaches, you're going to find yourself standing in the same place the Apostle Paul said. You're going to find teaching the same things that the Apostle Paul gave to the church at Galatia. Gave to the church at Ephesus when he said, uh, uh, For by grace are you saved through faith. That's how simple it is. And if we're not careful... We'll allow ourselves to be moved. I I love Philippians chapter 3. In fact, let's just take a moment and turn there to verse 12, if you would. And and look at how this is written here. How Paul explains the work of the truth. Here, Philippians 3, verse 12. He says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. Paul said, listen, I'm not there, I'm not complete in my faith in Christ, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. I'll tell you that's not the simplest verse in your Bible, but if you'll just take it apart and And read it very carefully, Paul says, listen, I'm following after. I'm trying to apprehend that. What is that? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then what does he say? He says, I'm trying to apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He says, I'm reaching out. I am struggling. I am trying to move forward. I'm trying to get a hold of that. But Christ already has a hold of me. You see, that's how truth works, my friend. And if you allow that truth to work, you will not be moved. But if we're not careful, the Galatian church, Paul said, listen, I'm afraid for you that... That you have been moved. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. You see, my favorite illustration is... How many of you remember the old cars with the great big bench seats across the front? Those are wonderful days. I know they're not as safe as the bucket seats and all of that, but it used to be nice. When we were first married, you had a big bench right there, and my wife could just slide right over next to me, and we'd drive down the road. And they tell the story of a couple, and she looked over at her husband and said, I don't know what's going on, said, You know, it used to be that we sat so close together in the car and he just looked over and said, you know, I haven't moved. The steering wheel's in the same place it's always been. And that's the way we get with the Lord sometimes, is it not? If we're not careful, we'll allow ourselves to be moved from the truth. Turn with me to Galatians 3 if you're there, if you can. If you would, Galatians 3 and... uh, uh, verse 1 here, something else that can happen with the truth. It says, "Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath... What's that next word there? Bewitched you, that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. That word bewitched means influenced by witchcraft, under or having magical influence... The second definition, I believe, is a little closer here and, and and ties in. It says, under a fascination. Fascinated with. You see, sometimes we allow our attention to be taken off Christ. And, and I do want to challenge you. There are demonic forces and... The devil's greatest work is to allow something to become more important than Jesus. How many of you remember the story of the mound of transfiguration? Hello? Raise your hands. Yeah? Okay. Jesus takes the disciples up there. He's transfigured before them. He he pulls back the veil and allows them to see just a little bit of His glory as very Son of God and God the Son. And Moses and Elijah appear there in physical form. And the three of them are talking together. What's Peter say? Oh, well, let's build three tabernacles, Lord. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And what does God say? This is my beloved son, hear ye him. And they fell on their face. And when they looked up, I love the wording in the Bible. It says they saw Jesus only. I'll tell you, you can be bewitched even in a good thing. You can allow your attention to be drawn to something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the questions we need to constantly ask ourselves, why do we do what we do? Are, are we doing what we do as a church? Are, are, are we, uh, am I preaching as a preacher to put on a show for you to, to uh, try to make you uh, be happy that you were in church? Or are we trying to take the truth that endureth forever And apply it to our lives. You see. You can. Allow. Just about anything. To take your attention. Off of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do. What are you doing? You're laying aside the truth that endures to all generations. And you're embracing something that is temporary and going to lead you in a direction that you should not go. Let's take our Bibles and turn to another passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3 says, But I fear... Lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, this is one of the verses that really got me started on this entire sermon in the preparation Here is There is simplicity in Christ. That's why he says, except you be converted and become as little children. That's why we are told to be followers of God as dear children. Because the gospel is not something that belongs only to the scholars. It's something that can be lived by every person who is willing to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what the word corrupted means to spoil or destroy flesh, fruit, or other organic matter by physical dissolution or putrid decomposition, to turn from a sound into an unsound, impure condition, to cause to go bad, to make rotten or rotting. Definition number four is to destroy or pervert the integrity or fidelity of a person in his discharge of duty to induce to act dishonestly or unfaithfully. Boy, does that not describe what what is going on in some churches in our day and time. You know, uh, there there has been a a great movement from several different uh, directions in order for Baptist churches to take the name Baptist off their door. Um, it was interesting, one of the uh, men there, actually he preached right after me, he was reading a, a quote by Chuck Smith, who is the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement. If you've ever seen one of those around there, uh, his uh, his town, Temecula, California, is like the headquarters for that entire movement there. And if you're ever driving down the road, eventually you'll see one of these. It just says Calvary Chapel, and said, "What a what a great name for for a church, isn't that good, Calvary Chapel?" And yet, here's what he said, in, and I'm not quoting it as exactly as Brother Wrench did in his sermon, but he he simply said, "Listen." If you put the name Baptist on your door, you'll lose 50% of the people who are willing to walk through your church because they don't want to be identified with that name. Be careful not to make a strong stand on doctrine because if you do, people will leave. Could I challenge you? That is corruption. That's what it looks like. Why should we be dishonest in identifying ourselves as who we are? Uh, By the way, there's a lot of dishonest people who use the name Baptist. Uh, That does not thrill me. Uh, I, I still, every time I see that, I see old Bill Clinton walking around with this big old Bible just holding it right there. But you know something? Is that all the man lied about? Hello? American history. George Washington. I cannot tell a lie. Richard Nixon. I cannot tell the truth. Bill Clinton. I cannot tell the difference. And Obama. I don't care. That's American history. And it's a tragedy, is it not? It is corrupted, and we won't take time to turn there this morning, but in Revelation chapter 2, he's talking to the church there, and and Jezebel has been welcomed into the church and teaching in the church. And what does Jesus say to that church? He said, I gave her space to repent, but I'm going to take her and cast her into great tribulation, and I'm going to kill her children. You see, even though they were operating in the church, they were never a part of Jesus' church. Because in order to be a part of Jesus' church, you've got to be saved first. Then you have to be biblically baptized. And then you have to uh, follow steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. But as John was summing this up to this church and telling them, he says, To you which have not known the depths of Satan. You want to know where the devil is doing his greatest work. It's not in the nightclubs. It's not in uh, all of these movements. It's not in the gang violence and the drugs and... And all of those things, the devil's greatest work, the depths of Satan, that's the only place that's used in the Bible. That means the bottom, the the greatest evil is corrupting the truth inside the church of Jesus Christ. You see, it can happen. It did happen. And what happens when we allow the truth to be corrupted? God can no longer accept our worship. That's why you hear me Sunday after Sunday talking about music. I hope and pray that no one in this auditorium would go get Rick Warren's book on the purpose-driven life or the purpose-driven church and read it. I. I beg you, don't do that. Uh, You say, have you read the book? How do you know? No, I've not read the book and I never intend to read the book and here's why. Some men that I used to look up to and respect and had a great influence on me early in my ministry, men I followed, read that book. And now on Sunday morning their worship service is centered around a rock and roll band that plays, not the preaching of God's word. What it has done to those churches. And all I'm simply saying, if these men who I considered great and and men of faith could be moved by this book, I fear that I could be moved by it as well. I, I don't think I'm that smart. And, and if you think you're that smart, guess what? You've just put yourself down for corruption. Uh, that's where it comes from. That's how it gets in. Uh, that's what happened to this Stephen Anderson guy that's all over the Internet. If you start believing your own press reports that you're the smartest man in the room, I mean... Can we look at it in the field of politics? How many dumb things were done by the smartest man in the room? Or or woman, as the case may or may not have been. Excuse me. Uh, You just sit there and you shake your head. Okay, we're in debt, so we're going to spend our way out of debt. I mean, how, how can you... The only thing dumber than that is taking the $300 million in, in tax incentives and giving it to the neighborhood because it doesn't exist. If you don't have the company to produce the money, you don't have the tax incentives. The tax breaks. It's, and, and we've been assured that a degree in economics proves that everything's right. No, it doesn't. Because the truth has been corrupted. Anyone who embraces socialism has to understand something. That truth really doesn't matter. Socialism has never, ever worked. Because socialism demands the human being to be better than good. You see, God doesn't do that. That's why His mercy endures forever. That's why His, His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations so that we can have an objective standard by which to measure ourselves, to, to check up on ourselves and make sure that we're still there. The way that you can tell if something is corrupted is you have to take it back and measure it by the standard. How many of you have ever reached into the refrigerator and pulled out a little block of cheese and cut off a piece and, wow, that tastes kind of weird. And then turned it over and the whole bottom was green. Or maybe it just had little dots on it. Uh, no, it normally it won't kill you. But that kind of mold's not good for you either. Um, the The simple truth of the matter is, It's been corrupted. And if we allow the truth, the devil's greatest work is corrupting the truth. Giving you an imitation and the best lies, as you well know, have the most truth in them. One more. Let's go to the uh, book of Colossians. The book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. We sang the song, verse 7, rooted and built up in him in Sunday school and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Verse 8, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You see, I've often asked the question, I, I, many of these same men that were reading Rick Warren's book and influenced by it and did turn on so many of the doctrines that they once held and say, you know, God wants us to understand why we're doing what we're doing. He wants us to develop a philosophy of ministry. Now, how many of you know what philosophy is? Philosophy is the study, the pursuit, or the love of knowledge. Now, does that ring any bells? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What does knowledge do? Puffs up, doesn't it? You ever met anybody that just was really smart and knew that they were really smart? I, I don't know. There, there must be something about me the way I carry myself. But I, I've met so many of those, and they, they just want me to understand. You know, I had I had one preacher. He said, "Listen," he said, "I know the answers to questions that your mind isn't even capable of asking." I'm sitting there going, "Okay." And the next point is, you, you just called me stupid, ignorant, unlearned. Fine. I, I gladly wear those titles by someone who is under the spell of philosophy. Because I don't want to be smart like that. Because their learning and their understanding is in vain deceit, and the rudiments of this world. And not after Christ. See, the basis of everything they have is back to the world. I don't know how many conversations I've started over the years with people on the street as we're just talking and, and, and uh uh, they'll begin saying, well, "Well, you know, we don't need another church. We got." I said, "Wait, wait a minute. How much wickedness do we have in our neighborhood?" "Oh, way too much." I said, "Well, then we need another church." And uh he said, "No, no, no. You, you people go to church. It's not doing any good." I said, "Well, come to our church. We'll try to do some good. All right? Uh, uh, we believe the truth makes a difference, but it always gets back to." The rudiments of this world. How many of you are familiar with a man named Thomas Aquinas? If you're any bit familiar with the Roman Catholic Church. He is the theologian of the modern Roman Catholic Church. Lived in the 1400's. Do you know what he did? He went back to ancient Greek philosophy. And he melded it. With the Bible. Exactly what is spoken. Here's what happens. It says that you can be spoiled. And you say, well, doesn't the word spoil mean the same as corrupted? No, the word spoil is a completely different word in your King James Bible. It means to strip or despoil a dead or helpless person A defeated enemy of arms and armor to pillage or plunder, to clear of goods or valuables by the exercise of superior force to ravage or sack. Now, here's what happens if you're willing to taste of the philosophy of this world. The devil You've just opened the storehouse to the greatest treasures of God. And the devil is able to take them by force. Now, you can't lose your salvation. Praise God. The Bible says, if we believe not, he abideth yet faithful. He cannot deny his own. But you can lose everything else. You can be spoiled by the enemy. What does our Bible tell us? The devil... Our adversary, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I, As a pastor, one of my jobs is to try to deal with people. And sometimes, after the devil has devoured, there's still some life in the flesh. And they'll come around, well, I tried that church thing, it didn't work. No, you didn't. You got spoiled. The devil took every good thing because you opened the door and handed it over to him. The devil cannot take from you what you refuse to give him. The Bible says, Whom resists steadfast. How? Well, the sword of the Spirit. I wave it in the devil's face and he runs away. Wrong. That's not what it says. It says, whom resists steadfast in the faith. It is that daily, simple living that keeps the devil at bay. It is the little things that makes the difference. You see, God's truth is there. Paul wrote these letters to these churches because... The truth was being removed. They were removing themselves from standing on the truth, just like Eve did in the Garden of Eden. She changed just a few words, but it was no longer God's words. Sometimes we allow ourselves to be mesmerized, bewitched, fascinated with some other thing. You know, people... for years. It just keeps coming up in cycles. Well, what about the books that aren't in the Bible that should be? There are none, my friend. None at all. You have some books that were written between the Old and the New Testament. They're called the Apocrypha. Why? Because they were never accepted as part of Scripture. And someone will say, but they were printed in your 1611 King James Bible. Yes, they were. But they are a separate section. They're not, nor have they ever been considered true books of the Bible by any organization that calls itself Christian except the Roman Catholic Church and then they only take certain ones of them. Then you have the books that make up the pseudepigrapha. These were books that were written after the end of the New Testament and because they were not written by those who claimed to write them they contained all kinds of er- errors and direct contradictions of scripture they were called the false writings that's where ron brown gets his da vinci code stuff but let me tell you he has to be incredibly selective to get it because if he just took the bible like uh, those books like we do our bible he couldn't possibly write the fantasy that he writes It wouldn't make any sense because the books don't make any sense. We have to understand that you can be corrupted. You can be spoiled. You can lose your joy. You can lose the greatest things that God has for you. But there is something we're supposed to do. Turn with me to the book of Titus, if you would. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Not purloining. Now that's not a word that we use much anymore. Uh, but I did look it up in the dictionary. I didn't write out the whole definition because very simply, the word purloin includes the meaning of the words that we've already looked at. The idea of removing is part of the thing of purloining. The idea of being corrupted, uh, of, of allowing things to be taken from you by negligence, spoiled, and... and fascination with something other than the main thing other than the important thing this word purloining is a, is a pretty big word and includes all of those ideals because you see we can do that how many of you have ever purloined your boss at work oh, I'm just going to sit here it's, it's Christmas time I need to do a little shopping on the boss's time well that's purloining purloining uh, that report really, I know the due date is Monday, but the real due date, how many of you have ever done that? It is next Friday. So I'll, I'll get it to them next week. I'll just take a little extra time. I'm not gonna push so hard. Uh, those, that's purloining. And the Bible says that we can purloin, but we're not supposed to. We're supposed to show good fidelity, all good fidelity. And here's why. That as individual believers in Christ and corporately as a church, the context is there. Titus was the pastor of a church and Paul was instructing him in how to serve in the church, how to pastor these people, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. Jesus left us here for a purpose. He established his church for a purpose. Because if this world in which we live is going to hear about God's truth that endureth to all generations, whose job is it? Not mine. I've often wished I could find not me. If you're you're a parent, Not me is the most despicable person that lives in your house. If I could just find not me, I'd solve all the problems of the world. Because not me does everything. How how about you? Uh, How many of you have been not me? Not me! Not me! Well, listen. Listen. God didn't give us a complicated faith. We have this thing called salvation. Jesus wasn't kidding when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, there is only one way of salvation. And if we make allowance for anything else, you know, I, I've met people over the years that say, P- Pastor, you don't understand. Hell is such a horrible place. How could a God of love send someone to hell forever and ever? Because that same God of love said it is finished on the cross. And there is no excuse for any human being to ever that has ever lived. You say, well, what about the aborigines? Well, you know something? Neither you nor I, or even the Aborigines, have all the information that they need to answer that question. So let's answer the question about your soul, because you're the one that's in church today. Amen. You're the one that's hearing the message. So well, I, I'm not ready yet. Well, that comes under the term of parloroning. You better be careful. I want to challenge you, our Bible is not for sale. The truthfulness, the veracity of this book is not up for de- uh, debate. If you will take this book and make it subject to the reasoning of men, there is no way that you can come to any other conclusion than that this Bible is full of errors and it's not the preserved Word of God. Does that sound like philosophy and the rudiments of man and vain deceit? It does to me. You see, God promised in this book that he would preserve his word. And if I have to make a choice between believing what God said in the Bible and what the scholars say about the Bible, guess who loses? Because... His truth endureth to all generations. It wasn't lost in a garbage can in a monastery for centuries. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are our only ordinances. Baptism is identifying publicly with Jesus Christ. It's giving testimony to the fact that you've been born again the Bible way. And it identifies you with the doctrine of the church in which you're baptized. And that's why we only accept baptism from a church that believes and teaches this book called the Bible. Now, we've accepted baptism from all over the world. You know why? Because there are churches that teach the truth. But there are some churches that even have Baptist in their name that we can no longer accept baptism from because... They've been spoiled. It's just an empty shell. The truth that was once taught there is not taught anymore. And so if we're going to be true to the Word of God, if we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which has everything to do with the purity of our faith and an ongoing living for God on a daily basis, we're going to have to be very careful how we participate and how we celebrate That Lord's Supper. I've said this, and every time I say it, I get a. If you're not right with a local assembly of believers, if you're not a member, if you're not serving God as a member of a Bible believing Baptist church, you are not completely right with God. You can't be. The church is God's only program, there are no others. I challenge you, you look in your Bible from Acts chapter 2, Revelation chapter 4, and see if you can find anything other than through, by, for, or about a local church. You see, these truths do not belong to me. They do not belong to you. They were passed down to us from previous generations. How many of you have ever seen a beautiful old car back from the 20s or 30s in a parade or something like that? You know how those cars got to where they are? Is somebody adorned them. Many times they found an old rusted hunk of junk in a yard somewhere. If you remember Brother Folger, when he was here, told us about an Auburn that his uh, father had picked up and completely restored. Immaculate. It was worth a fortune. Years ago, we visited a man in Iowa and, and he took us into the garage and opened the garage door and he said, now, don't get anywhere near this. He said, this is a 1924 cord. Now, how many of you even know what a cord was? He said, this car is worth $120,000. He said, don't let your kids touch it. (laughs) Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're not getting anywhere near that thing. But you know what they do? They find these old cars. Some, Some of them, this one he found was in good shape. All he had to do was put a new paint job on it said the paint job costing 20 grand but he made that car i mean it looked like it was sitting in a showroom in 1924 you go to the museum they have people that do nothing but go around and polish the brass and dust the the uh and, and they're very careful because dust can scratch things and so you know what we're supposed to do with the truth? We're supposed to adorn it. I didn't build this car. It doesn't I I didn't make it, but I I'm going to make you wish you had one that looked like mine. Right? Hey, I didn't come up with this truth, but I want you to understand it is so precious. That God had said he personally would guarantee its endurance to every generation. Now what are we going to do with it? Are people going to think better of the truth? Because they walk through those doors. That's adorning the truth. We've had people walk through those doors and they said, I can't believe what you have here. This is just a simple old-fashioned church. I mean, you just stick by the Bible, nothing else. We really think that's wonderful. Well, are you willing to change the things in your life that need to be changed so you can be part of us? Oh no, but I respect you so much. Where is the disconnect here? It is our job to adorn the doctrine. Of God. How precious is your salvation to you? Please don't ever get comfortable or used to being saved. How precious is this book called the Bible? Do you read it like you should? Do you pay attention to the words? Or are you studying what it says? You see. Ephesians 2.7 tells us that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I'll tell you what, I, I want my life story to be more than just one little chapter. He got saved. End the conversation. Oh, isn't that the riches of his grace toward us, Word? But wouldn't you want God to have a little bit more to say about you than that? He told the church of Philadelphia where we get our name of our church, Open Door Bible Baptist, I have set before thee an open door. He said, For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. You know what? That's what adorning the doctrine of God looks like. Keeping his word. And not denying his name. Being faithful to what God has given us. Salvation. Baptism. The local church. The Lord's Supper. Living in the context. Serving in the context of the local church. That's it. by the way, we don't need to defend the truth. It's already there. But we need to live it. And not grudgingly or of necessity. The man brings in a dozen beautiful long stem red roses. And He goes, there! You want flowers? You got it. Now, Ladies, if that ever happens, here's what you do. Is you grab the flowers by the uh, the blossom end and beat them with the thorny end. Amen? And if that ever happens, uh, just do that. That, that. That'll solve the problem. Uh, if we're going to adorn the truth, We've got the doctrines of God, we've got to live in such a way that we can invite people to join us. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, I ask that you would help us as a church, as the pastor of this church, to be careful, to beware, as we are told in the scriptures that. That we would not lose these things that you have given us. That we would be good stewards of the truth that has endured to our generation. But Lord, we ask for grace. We ask for mercy when we fail. That we can prove to the world just how extraordinarily great the God of this book called the Bible is. Lord, we ask that you would help us to live lives that adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.